Come on, team. Come on. Let's bring it in. Here we go. It's holiday time. Some of you have been away and struggling to get back into business mode. Some of you are about to head away. You've already checked out. But uh, great to be here this morning. Great to have you with us. Uh, we are in Ephesians, and uh, some of you who were here last week are saying, Simon, you said that last week, and you didn't really get there, um, but that was all intentional. We wanted to do an intro week, and Ephesians is my favorite book, okay? It's just the most incredible uh, book, and if you missed last week, you missed out. But let me just give you a little brief understanding. We talked about Ephesus. We talked about it being this fusion of, of culture, uh, uh, Greek culture and Roman rule. It's this, it's this crossroad of trade routes. I wonder what you could buy in the markets. I wonder what food would come in from different parts of the known world. There was, uh, there was this fusion of religion. You could worship just about whoever and whatever you wanted, whether it be Rome itself, whether it be um, one of the emperors from Rome, or whether it be uh, one of the many gods that both Greek and Roman culture had. But Ephesus stands out as this place, this home of this idol Artemis, this meteor that seems to have come from, the, from, from outer space and they have set up this Westpac stadium-sized temple right in the middle. And in there is this idol, and there's all these trades that go on around um, the worship of this idol. And you can take a little silver replica of this idol home with you. People would come on pilgrimages to Ephesus and take it home. And, and Paul goes into that context, and he begins to share the gospel Initially, he sees resistance, but then God moves in incredible power. This spiritual battle kicks off and and opposition, and Paul doesn't seem to be able to ever go back there. But 10 years later, he writes to the church, and he says, I want you to know Christ is supreme. I want you to know that he is above all and over all and through all. I want you to know that he is incomparable. I want you to know that the church has purpose in eternity. God has planned for the church in this season to do incredible things. You need to live in that purpose. You need to know that purpose. Uh, You need to know that God has empowered you and gifted you to do that. And, And you need to know how to stand and to minister in the thick of the spiritual battle that will go on as you want to reach out as a church and so that's sort of Ephesians in a nutshell and we are doing it not because it's next in our sort of series of teaching through the Bible we are doing it because we've just been through this uncontainable series and and we want to reach out we want to be like those Ephesians we want to reach out we want to make a difference in this city and in this region and so we want to we need to learn how to be the church we need to learn how do we, when, it, when everything is stripped away, how do we be the church? And so uh, this week, we're actually going to get into it. We're actually going to begin to read Ephesians. We're going to spend, in fact, the next three weeks looking at a single sentence. How cool is that? And some of you are just like, oh man, this is deeper than I expected. But the cool thing is, right, as we go through, Paul systematically lays out salvation for us in the most incredible way, like no else. Romans doesn't get close to this. Galatians doesn't get close to this, okay? Ephesians is this incredible declaration of the gospel. And Paul lays it out in a single sentence. You'll be pleased to know that it's verse 3 to 14, 
is a single sentence in the Greek. Paul is in prison, he's praying for the church, and he writes this incredible letter. He just pours out his heart in this uh, ungrammatical uh, outpouring of just praise to God, verses 3 to 14. And so over the next three weeks, you're going to see that God the Father has chosen us. That the Son, Jesus Christ, has redeemed us. He has brought us out of slavery. And the Holy Spirit has sealed us, guaranteeing inheritance. And so this week we look at God the Father having chosen us. And you know, last, uh, last night, Jenny got home from Thread Conference. We're having this little chat. And she loves to just download on the day. And I was like, I want you to know about my day, you know? And, uh, and I said, incredible stuff has happened. Two amazing rugby games tonight, Jenny. And... Um, <laughs> And, and there's all these permutations and there's all these little things going on, but the canes, they reign supreme. Hallelujah. And, uh, and, and she's just like, what on earth has this got to do with me? You know? And I said, well, my sister is coming out in a couple of weeks. And wouldn't it be awesome? She's never been to New Zealand. Wouldn't it be awesome for her to be able to go and see the Canes play in the playoffs at home? The Canes are going to be at home, Jenny. And she was like, oh, so now I sort of care, you know? Like now I understand. You see, there was this, this, this tricky stuff that I was trying to explain to her. All the permutations. She didn't really care until I said, Jenny, this is what it means to you. This is what it means to you. Natalie, my sister, might be able to go and see the canes at home. Glorious. And, and so what I want to do today is take this thing that, that is this difficult doctrine, this, this complicated thing. The more I look into this, the more lost I get. I'll be honest with you. We want to take this thing that God the Father has chosen you. If you believe in Jesus, you need to know this one. God has chosen you. And you need to know what that actually practically, day by day, means for you. So let's turn. I promised you we were going to read Ephesians. Let's look at it now. We're going to go from verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people, in other words, to the church in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father in the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's this prayer. Here's this single sentence that begins. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody give me an amen. You just can't read those words like, praise be to God and Father, Lord Jesus. You just can't read those sitting down. You can't read those without going, wow. You know, God has blessed you, God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Where? In the heavenly realms. The heavenly realms is that place where Christ, who having died for sin and raised to life again, the heavenly realms is that place where he is today seated in glory and power. Those are the heavenly realms. When you believed in Jesus, God seated you at his right hand in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So the heavenly realms is not only where Jesus is seated, but it's where you are seated today. And the heavenly realms is, the, is, is that place that things on earth of God's picture. So the temple on earth, that picture of the presence of God is a picture of the temple that is in the heavenly realms. 
The city of Jerusalem on earth, that temporal city, is a picture. That, that place where the king of Israel ruled and reigned is a picture of the city of Jerusalem in the heavenly realms where the king of kings and the Lord of lords reigns in power and glory and supremacy forever and ever. Today, that every spiritual blessing is in that place. And so today, you should walk out a little taller. You should walk out of here as a believer in Jesus, a little firmer in your faith, and a little more confident. Do you know what? I have incredible hope because I have every spiritual blessing. Not temporal blessing. Not earthly blessing. I have every spiritual blessing in those places, in the heavenly realms. You know, for some of us, life hasn't turned out like we expected. Maybe physically, maybe relationally, maybe you're not in the the age and stage and place that you thought you'd be or hoped you'd be. And, and, And there's a bit of disappointment. You're like, God, is this really what you had for me? Know this, that as you look around and maybe you compare yourself a little bit like, oh, you know, what's going on with them? What's going on with me? You have every spiritual blessing, every single one of them. It is stored up for you in the heavenly realms, in a place where it can never perish, never spoil, never fade. And here's the flip side of that. You might be sat here today going, I can't believe my luck. I've got everything I ever dreamed of and more. And the danger for you is that you focus on that and it causes it and you get so wrapped up in that that you ignore the greater blessing that is stored up for you in the heavenly realms. As believers in Christ, there's not one of us who is who has done anything more than tasted a glimpse of what God has for us. We have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. But today, as I promised, we're going to move on to consider, as Paul lays out what this looks like, and he says, for. So I want you to know what these every spiritual blessings are. Now, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world. This word chosen, this word choose. God chooses people for tasks. He chooses people groups. He chooses nations. He chose Israel. He has chosen the church for a purpose. But in this context, it seems that what Paul is saying is that in eternity past, God has chosen people in terms of where they will spend eternity future. And immediately this will spark off in some people your sort of preconceptions, your decision that you have made around this area. But can I say before I move on to really teach into this, can I say one thing or a couple of things? Everyone believes in predestination. When you're having discussions about this, everyone believes in it. Everyone who believes in the Bible believes that God has chosen them because the Bible very clearly says it. The discussion is around what that means. If you, if you take the Bible seriously, you have to take those words seriously. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world. Before anything, God made a choice. The question is, did God choose everyone such that people then have a choice over whether they respond to that or not? Or did God choose just some people and he guaranteed that those people he would chosen would make it? 
And that is where the, the, the discussion really lies. Now this keeps on messing me every single time I look at this. I, I had a bit of a neck injury this week and, and, and thanks to my physio, I'm, I'm, I'm getting there and I'm able to teach this morning. But when that sort of hit me and I could barely get out of bed midweek, it was actually quite convenient because I thought, I don't have to let this subject mess with me again. Okay, I'll just call Nick, he can teach on it and I can avoid this. <laughs> That's providence. Uh, let's not get into that. Okay. But the, thing I, the other thing I want you to see is that Paul raises this for praise, not for discussion. It doesn't mean that, that, that we don't, it's not, it's not saying it's wrong to discuss it. What I'm saying is, Paul doesn't say, and this is a really tricky issue, and it's really controversial. He says, this is a reason for praise. God chose us in him before the creation of the world. The other thing I would say is, there are some incredible theologians on both sides of this discussion. The question is, do you believe in Jesus? Have you received, uh, have you believed in him as Lord and Savior, relying on by, by grace alone through faith alone? And if so, you're a believer. And what this is going to do is it's going to spark off some discussions in life groups, which I'm not really going to go into today, but it's going to spark some discussions in life groups. Can I say, listen to one another, understand that there are, there are believers on both sides of this discussion and many sides of this discussion. Don't, don't suddenly allow people to call into question their sort of faith because they disagree with you over this issue. Can I say that? Let's just, let's just love one another and let's care for one another and let's, let's grow together and, and become more mature together. But let me say this, okay? Ephesians doesn't really go into this sort of predestination chosen discussion. And I don't have the time to really unpack it all this morning. That would mess with me and it would definitely mess with you. But what I will say is the most complete discussion on this sort of area is in Romans 9 and Romans 10. And this is where I find this great concept that I love, which is called truth intention. You see, because in Romans 9, what, God says, what Paul says is, God is sovereign. And he can choose to do whatever he likes. He is sovereign. There is not a single molecule in the whole of creation that is outside of his control. He is sovereign. And, and he, because he is good, he must do justice. Okay, he wouldn't be a good God if he let bad people get away with bad things. He has to do justice. And God is not obliged to show mercy. That is a choice. That is an expression of his love and kindness. What Paul says in Romans 9 is, if God chooses some people and not others, who are you to talk back to God? You read that, does that really say that? Paul says, if, if, if God did that, who are you and I to talk back to him? In fact, Paul then says, if God had done it a different way, if God hadn't have chosen every single one of us would have perished. That's Romans 9. It's one of the strongest defenses, of one of the strongest proclamations of this principle. But then you get Romans 10. And in Romans 10 it says, it quotes the Old Testament, and it says, and it says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And he says, well, how can they call upon the name of the Lord? Unless, unless somebody, unless they believe. And how can they believe unless they've heard? And how, how can they hear unless someone tells them, as it is written, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. And it says, God has said to me all day long, I've held up my hands to a disobedient 
and obstinate generation. See, if you take Romans 9 in isolation, you would think that that is it. God has chosen. We're, just, we're basically just journeying through life. And at the end of it, one, we're going to discover whether we go left or right, whether we go to heaven or hell. And, you know, there's nothing we can do about it. And then right up against it, Paul in Romans 10 says, no, there is a, there is a genuine invitation. Some people will refuse to respond to that invitation. And there is a need for us to tell people about Jesus so that they have the opportunity to respond. And so Paul holds these truths. He says, I want you to know that if you have believed in Jesus, you need to know that God, before the creation of the world, chose you. You We as the church need to know the security of that and the foundation of that and the hope of that. We need to know that what God has started in us, he will carry on to completion. Those who he has chosen, he's going to take and one day he will glorify. We need to know the hope of that. But if you have not come to a place where you believe in Jesus today and you're exploring this faith and you've walked in, you're like, what on earth is this? You need to know there is a genuine invitation and God holds out his hands to you and says, I love you so much. And where you've gone is the wrong way. But I want to invite you through my son Jesus to know me. And to know where you'll spend eternity. And as Paul holds up Romans 9, and he holds up Romans 10, where he comes to is this wonderful prayer of praise in Romans 11, where he says this, Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom of God and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counsellor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and for him of all things, to him be glory forever. Paul says, God, I know that you've chosen. God, I know that I need to give my life to share the gospel. I know that people need to hear so that they can respond. I don't quite understand it. I don't quite understand how these come together. I know this is true and I know this is true. And what this tension does for Paul is he says, I worship. Because this shows you are God and I'm not. And I trust you. And as I wrestled with this issue when I was a bit younger, as I surrendered myself to believe what the Bible was telling me, and not to try and work it all out, but just to begin to believe, it brought out of me a depth of worship that I'd never known before. Can I encourage you not to try and treat this black and white, but to actually come at it and say, God, I know this to be true. I know this to be true. And it leads me to worship. And that's why Paul raises it here. He says, I want you to know the celebration of this. I want you to know the power of it. I want you to know the truth of this. And so I want to unpack three things for us right now. One is that this passage tells us when God chose. This passage tells us why God chose. And this passage tells us what for. What, what was the purpose that God had in mind in doing that? So what does it say? First four says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world. Before you had done anything good or anything bad, God chose you. In fact, before you were born. In fact, before your parents were born. In fact, before any human had ever walked upon earth. Before Adam and Eve had sinned, God had chosen Before the garden in which Adam and Eve were placed was even in existence on this planet, God chose. Before the earth was in orbit around the sun. In fact, before the first second of time or the first atom of matter, before anything, 
God chose you. Do you see how significant you are? Do you see how valuable you are? Before anything else, God made a choice about you. And I promised you we would look at what for. Because Paul tells us in this passage, God chose for a reason. God chose before the creation of the world, why? To be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship. So the what for is threefold. God chose us to be holy. God is holy. He is set apart. He is holy other. He is different. And God chose you to be holy. God chose you to be set apart like him. God chose you to be with him. God chose you not only to be holy, but to be blameless. If I've done something wrong, it doesn't matter how good I am from that moment forward. I always deserve blame for that moment. That blame will always follow me. I can't get rid of it. If I get, I got caught speeding once, caught once, and uh, I, there's a there's a lady on staff. Um, I won't tell you who she is, but she's on reception, and um, she. Um, <laughs> She once said to me, she once said to me, I got caught speeding, you know, and, 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 I, and I can't, I can't believe, basically her attitude was, I can't believe it's taken this long. Oh, that's brilliant. Anyway, Obi, we love you so much. But anyway, I got caught speeding once, okay, and, and, and I was guilty. I didn't know the speed limit changed, I was going downhill, there was lots of things, you know. Now, now I've never been caught speeding ever since, but that good behavior that lack of getting caught does not erase the blame I deserve for getting for speeding that once. And yet what Paul is saying here is not only has God chosen you to be holy, but he has chosen you to be blameless. He has found a way to remove the guilt and the blame that you deserve so that in his sight you will be blameless. Your sin, your error, your wrong no longer trails behind you. It has been washed away, spotless, blemishless, blameless, not in just the sight of other people, but in the sight of God. And then he says, you have been adopted to sonship. You have the full rights of sons. If you've been here through the Galatians series, you'll know I poured out my heart on adoption to sonship. I think it's the most phenomenal subject. When, when Julius Caesar was coming towards the end of his reign, he could have chosen one of his children. But he, he chose a second nephew of his, random person. He adopted into his, him into his family and gave him the full rights as an heir of his throne, that was Caesar Augustus. There was no, in Roman culture, and this is the culture that Paul's speaking into, that that Roman rule, under that jurisdiction, when you were adopted into somebody's family, your whole past was wiped away. There was no record of anything else. You are not just, uh, here's the real children and here's the adopted one. No, you are a full child. And somebody looking at you would not be able to distinguish you from a real child. And God says, in all eternity, I chose you to be a part of my family. I chose you for adoption to sonship. I chose you, men and women, to be a part of my family with no record of any other family allegiance. You are mine. You are part of my family. I always wanted you to be here. And I wanted you to have that full inheritance. Every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus in the heavenly realms. That's what for. Where I want to land today 
is why. Why did God choose us? Because I think this is where our theology, we might say the right thing, but in our minds and in our hearts, we do something very different. For God, he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love. In love. God chose you as an object of his love, of his favor, of his blessing. And it goes on. He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will. We're, 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 we're chosen to be holy, to be blameless, to be adopted to sonship, to be part of his family. We're given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Why? Because God chose to love us and he made us. It was in accordance with his pleasure. It just pleased God to do it. It's in accordance to his will. Nobody forces him to do it. In fact, his character sort of would demand him justice. That's all we deserve. But because he was pleased to, because he wanted to in all eternity, in eternity past, he chose us. You see, this is really important. And the reason it's really important is because I think so often our theology starts at Genesis 3. You get Genesis 1 and 2, creation. Then you get Genesis 2 and Adam and Eve. And then you get to Genesis 3 where they mess up. And they get kicked out of the garden. And I think so often as the church, we come before God and we're like, God, I'm so worthless. I'm a sinner. There's nothing good in me. And God, I'm so, I, so need, I so need your grace. And I'm so glad that you sort of felt obliged to, to help me out there with Jesus and stuff like that. Our, our theology starts there. And we don't realize that actually God created us so much different to that. We as humanity are created different. We are created in the image of God. There's no one, nothing else in all of creation like humanity. There's nothing like it. We are given the very DNA of God. We are created in His image. We are created as His representatives, as His idol, as His image to rule with Him and reign with Him. That is where God created us. That's what He, that's what he wanted us to be. So when we sin, now understand the depth of that tragedy. That we turned our back on all of that and we went our own way. And the whole of creation fell. Because of our decision to go a different way. And so what did God do? What did, knowing that we would do that, what did God do? Did God, when, when man sinned, did, did God fly off into a rage? Say, oh, for goodness sake, I can't believe those worthless creatures have done that. Well, Jesus, I suppose, you better, I suppose we better go and deal with this. That's not his heart at all. In love, because of his pleasure, because of his will. And this flies in the face, I think, of church culture often. And it flies in the face of, secular, of our secular world that we, are, we live in. You see, if, if you're an atheist, and, and that is a sort of predominant worldview, very secular worldview that we find in New Zealand, you are just one of seven billion people right now. And, and you are anatomically different from, from a fish, but... Really, essentially, we're just the same. We're just sort of miracles of matter. And what significance could you possibly have because there have been 101 billion people before you and when you die, you're just going to join them. You're not significant. 
You're not worth anything. You've got about 70 years if you're lucky. Make the most of it. And yet in the church, we also find our theology, I think, starting at Genesis 3, and it leads us to consider ourselves as worthless. You know, I I know people who all they want to do is come to church every week so they can be reminded of how worthless and disgusting and, and God, I'm just so lucky. Which in one way is right. But what it does is it masks the value. You see, what what was God's response when we sinned? He sent that which was most precious and valuable to him to rescue us. He didn't rescue angels. He rescued us. Why? Because we're the only ones made in his image. And you need to know the dignity of that. You need to know the value of that. Let me close with a little story that emphasizes this. I want you to imagine that um, at the end of my garden, I have a, 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 a river that is fast flowing. It's in flood. And I go out there with one of my daughters, let's say Izzy. And Izzy, those eyes, man, I just can't, I can't say no. Um, and she's like, Dad, she, she, I've let her have a cat. Now, at this point, you know if you know me. Cats, I despise cats. There's no way we're ever having cats. But I've chose them because they're the, they're, the, they're the sort of bad one in this story. So that's cool. I didn't choose dogs, you know, cats. And, um, and, and I go out there with Izzy, and she's got a little cat, you know. And uh, I don't really like this cat, but I feel obliged to have it. And, and this cat falls into the river, okay, and gets washed downstream. And Izzy's like, Dad, 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 rescue my cat. I'm like, I'm thinking twice about jumping in, you know? Definitely. Like, I'd let it drown. Um, I'm thinking twice about jumping in. I'm like, all right, because it's easy, I better jump in. And I get washed downstream, and, and I can't really see it. And I'm thinking, I'm not giving up my life for this one, you know? I'm not dying for, for a stupid cat. It can, you know, I'll try, but... And, 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 you know, and I bang my knee on rocks as I'm going downstream and there's driftwood and I'm scraping my arm and I've got cuts and everything like that. And, and it's cold, it's the middle of winter and I finally grab this cat and I, and I pluck it out. And, and then, of course, we've got a long walk home and it's winter and so I'm like second stage of hypothermia. And there are every moment from now on when I see this cat, I'm like, do you know how cold I got? Do you know how much it hurt? <laughs> I promised you that as we go through Ephesians, we would have moments where we see the love of God in a new way. That it would deepen our worship and deepen our love of Jesus. This was my moment this week. Imagine Izzy fell in. Would I think twice about jumping in? Imagine Izzy fell in. Would I risk my life? Let me tell you, we're either both coming out or none of us are coming out. And every rock on the way down that cuts my knee, and every branch on the the way down the river, the driftwood that scrags my arm, I'm I'm barely paying attention to it, as painful as it is, because I'm looking for her. And when I pluck her out, it's the same experience. I'm freezing cold, I'm bleeding. And as we walk home, There's not one ounce of my being that is saying, do you know what it costs me? Everything in me is saying, you are worth it. God in all eternity knew you would fail, knew we would mess up, 
But he sent his son Jesus because he has chosen to love you. And it's because it was in accordance with his pleasure and will. And because he wanted to. Because he didn't think twice. Because you were created for so much more than sin has robbed you of. And he wants to restore you to that. He wants you to rule and reign with him in all eternity. And God is not going to remind you of what it cost him. We remind ourselves of what it cost him because we don't want to be complacent about that. But God is not reminding us of that. God is reminding us, do you know how much I love you? Do you know how valuable to you, you are to me? In all eternity, I chose you because I love you. And in accordance with my pleasure, I'm, I was pleased to rescue you. I wanted to rescue you. It cost my son his very life. But you're worth it. You're worth it. We're going to close there. And we're out of time, but I just want to take a moment right now. Can we pray? Come on, bow with me. Just contemplate that for a moment. Do you know how loved you are? Do you know how valuable you are to God? You have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. If you haven't believed in Jesus today, you need to know there is an invitation, a real one, to know him for yourself. And I'd love to catch up with you afterwards if that is you and you want to know what it means to follow Jesus. But My prayer out of this time is that we leave this place changed. Maybe for you, you're going to approach God with, you're going to expect prayers to be answered because you're realizing your position in Him. You're going to pray like never before. You're going to praise like never before. Some of you are realizing that there's a call of God in your life that you've felt yourself worthless and useless. and You're realizing today, man, I'm valuable to God and maybe that could be God leading me. Maybe you've been scared to go where God is leading you. But you've seen how faithful he has been now through Jesus. And so, I'm going to trust him. God, we want to thank you for your word today. We want to thank you for this incredible truth that yes, because of sin, we, we are worthless, we are helpless in our sin. But Lord, I thank you that it was your pleasure and will to send your son to die in our place, to rescue us, to save us. And I pray, God, we would live in the power of that. I pray that we would live in the beauty of that and the brilliance of that. Lead us as your church to share, to know this incredible message and to share it with those around us. We thank you. We give ourselves to you again today in your name.